14th of February 2022. It was definitely a playful flirtation. That was the name of the dead girl. Oh, 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 oh my God. From news.com.au. I'm Andrew Buckalo, and I've got news for you. Well, it's Valentine's Day today, and to celebrate, we've decided to take a look at the dark side of love. Now, you might have heard of a Netflix show called The Tinder Swindler. Just forget about that, okay? Because what we have in store for you today is one of the wildest catfishing stories you will ever hear. It involves a breakfast radio show in Adelaide, an online flirtation between two media identities, a 26-year-old woman with breast cancer, and me. Yes, I'm mixed up in this mess as well. It is absolutely bonkers, and I'll start filling you in on what happened in just a moment. In 2008, I was the producer of a breakfast radio show on SAFM in Adelaide. The show was hosted by Rabbit, Amber and Cozzy, and one of the program's hallmarks was Rabbit's Gotcha Calls. One day, we received an email from a listener in South Australia named Blaine, who asked Rabbit to do a gotcha call on his fiancée, Sarah, who lived in Canada. The gotcha call went off without a hitch, and Sarah and Rabbit actually kept in touch afterwards and became mates who would email occasionally. Now, the plan was for Sarah to move to Adelaide so she could marry Blaine in front of his friends and family. But one morning, she called into our show and told us that she'd been dealt a devastating blow. I had an appointment the next day, so I went in and I was diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer. Oh my Um, goodness. So I called Blaine. He uh, hopped on a plane. I was at the airport 36 hours later. And, uh, you know, big hug, big kiss. And... One of the reasons I love him is because he's able to joke around about everything. You know, he just looks at me and says, babe, it's okay. I'm an ass man. We'll get through this. And what's the long-term it, prognosis for you, Sarah? Um, I actually just got back from the doctor today. Um, <clears throat> sorry. You're all right, mate. It's okay, Sarah. Um, I'll be happy to see April. Oh, I won't gosh. even be married a year. Oh, Sarah. The story struck a chord with our listeners and we were inundated with calls from people who were offering money to help Sarah fly out to Australia so she could have a wedding before it was too late. Life's not fair sometimes and I'd like to donate $1,000 if I could to help maybe a bit of that come true for this couple. Oh, Lisa. Hi, um, I would like to donate some of my Christmas money if I could. Oh, sweetie. You know, I'm I'm not a rich person by any means, but I just... I'd really like to help out and and give us some money. We received almost $10,000 in donations and Sarah was all set to fly to Adelaide to marry the man of her dreams with a little help from Rabbit. Rabbit? Oh, God. So, um, I, as I've told you, I don't have any family left and um, there's a big moment coming up um, and my soon-to-be uncle-in-law has has offered to walk me down the aisle and I've said I'd like to ask somebody else first. Um, I was wondering, since you're going to be there anyways, um, if you wouldn't mind taking a walk with me down the aisle. I'd be proud too, Sarah. Thank you. Sarah never made it though. She died before she could make the trip. Joining me now is one of the hosts from The Breakfast Show, Amber Petty, who's since written a book about this story called This Is Not A Love Song. Amber, after Sarah's death, her best friend in Canada reached out to you, didn't she? Yeah, she did. So uh, Sarah Kelly, um, as she presented, uh, reached out 
Um, well, actually, just sort of backtracking, just before Sarah died, she wrote me an email and we also spoke on the phone and she mentioned a lot about this best friend. And essentially she said that she was sort of, you know, quite a powerful woman in media and she'd worked in radio previously. She was also married to a, a guy um, who was in Afghanistan fighting the war and she was the mother of four children and so they had been long time kind of childhood friends and she spoke a lot of her and she said that if you know if Sarah ever got to Australia because apparently she had interest in coming to Australia that the two of us should meet because she thought that we had lots of things in common given our media backgrounds and so she actually introduced us via email before she died and sort of started that friendship um, with us, but where Sarah and I didn't reach out to this girl initially, but when I got an email from Sarah, and this was basically a, a group email, so I have no idea who was on it, she was basically saying, this is the memorial, you know, after Sarah died, this is where the memorial is going to be. If you'd like to send, you know, in lieu of sending flowers, she had this link to a cancer foundation and, um, yeah, and it was a big, she was obviously sort of handling things and that's really where the, the next sort of friendship, I guess, with me rolled onto. So you became friends with this Sarah person and Sarah actually introduced you to a fella, didn't she? Yeah, she did. So over a period of nine months or so, um, Sarah and I, look, I, I came from a base of really just thinking, oh my God, I can't imagine losing my best friend. And so there was sort of a lot of compassionate reasons why I sort of made time and also, you know, I, I reached out after I got this memorial thing and said, hi, Sarah, I'm just thinking of you all. And, you know, I was just in agony thinking, you know, how all of these people were grieving this gorgeous, gorgeous girl. So from there we ended up speaking on the phone and, and you know, I got to learn a lot about her media career. So during that time she told me a lot about how she worked on this TV show and previously worked in radio and her sort of best you know, working buddy was this guy called Corey and Corey Malcolmson. So she sort of, you know, painted this picture. He was single. He was, you know, she sent me photos. And um, so one day this very sort of handsome, lovely guy, Corey Malcolmson, sent me an email and we started, you know, emailing together. And, and you know, it was definitely a playful, you know, flirtation. And I had nothing better to do at the time. So... Your relationship over email with Corey developed and your friendship with Sarah did as well. And eventually she flew out to Adelaide and stayed with you. Yeah. So she had been planning this trip and she wanted to come and she wanted to spread the ashes of her best friend. She also had gifts from Sarah for Rabbit, who was, um, you know, uh, the, the sort of entry person for this and she had gifts for me and I offered for her to stay at my house and so in September of 2009 um, I picked this person up from the airport and spent the next torturous two weeks with her. And she ended up spreading Sarah's ashes at the beach when she was staying with you. Yeah so uh, she was immediately when I got her off the plane, she was, I could feel very hostile energy and I didn't realise that I could read energy then, but I just felt like, oh my God, this woman is so angry. And I was desperately trying to sort of please her. And 
um, on this one particular day, I was like, oh, finally, we might be able to regroup, you know, come together because we talked about spreading the ashes and it felt like it was something that we were both going to do together. As it turned out, you know, I was pretty much her driver and we got to Glenelg Beach and she had the ashes of the, you know, Sarah, the, the, the best friend, in a little glad bag, um, you know, glad wrap thing. And we get to the beach and Sarah pretty much just dumps me where I am as I'm trying to tie up my dogs under a tree. And she marches out to the beach and she goes in to about up to her knee and she opens the glad bag thing and she starts sort of scattering her friend's ashes and then I'm not joking all of a sudden out of nowhere this little gust of wind whips up and and sort of literally takes hold the rest of the ashes which was probably three quarters left and it swings it up takes a sort of left hook and ends up depositing them all over her friend and I'm standing on the beach going Oh, my God. And she brushes, and I watch her, and she just brushes herself off with the water, turns around, face of thunder, and walks towards me and gets to me, doesn't say a word, and I go, okay, I guess that's my cue to drive this person home, to my home. After Sarah returned home to Canada, some SAFM staff members had a niggling feeling that something wasn't quite right. And that's when Sarah's lies started to unravel. We'll find out what happened in just a moment. I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. Amber, when did you start to realise that we might have been duped by this Sarah person? The first kind of penny really dropping was, ironically, my co-host at the time, Cosy. So he just out of nowhere during a break says to me very thoughtfully, like he's just sort of forming the thought, he said, so Petty, what would you do if you found out that Sarah wasn't who she said she was, which means Sarah doesn't exist Corey doesn't exist. None of them exist. And I just looked at him and my first thought was how disrespectful that you could pose something like that that includes this beautiful girl that we, you know, tragically, you know, dies at 27 that we all fell in love with even though we didn't meet her. And then I just sat back and I don't even think I answered him and I just sat back and suddenly it was like this feeling of this explosion in my stomach just went off And I kept thinking, oh, my God, what's happening here? Oh, my God, why am I feeling like this? It was one of those moments where you just go, oh, my God, something really, really bad has gone on here and I I don't know what it is. So we found out that Sarah never existed. We found out that Corey wasn't real, that basically they were both created by Sarah. Now, you figured that out after doing some digging. How did you discover that you'd been fooled by this woman? So over time, I, I would like, I would email, I would email or try and contact Sarah. And then eventually her phones went 
dead, you know, like no one is here. And then her email went dead. And then Blaine, the fiance's email went dead. And then, you know, um, Corey's email went dead. So obviously I knew, oh, God, this is really bad. Like this is just looking like this is all, all a scam. But I still didn't know what the deal was. But I really had this intense feeling that if I pursued the line of, trying to find Corey. I was convinced that there was a Corey. And so I spent one night just Googling like crazy. And I wasn't the most sophisticated Googler, I have to say. But eventually I came across, I used the Corey that she dangled and, you know, whoever was behind this email address. I used the photos that I had. I had two or three photos of him. And I just was Googling something like, you know, Corey and, you know, Corey Radio, Corey Canada. And then suddenly I found this guy pop up and there was a Corey, but his name was different and he was still in radio. And so I remember that night I just sat in front of Facebook. So I just sent this very cryptic, strange uh, message to him on Facebook and within about three minutes I got this reply, which was a reply instantly so different to this sort of quite traditional kind of, you know, old-fashioned, you know, lovely other Corey. And I thought, oh, God, here we go. This is definitely a different person. And that was the starting point of me finding out that eventually that he he knew this girl, that she had done a similar scam to them, and the biggest bomb was because I found one photo of this girl. So I sent it to her and he said, oh, yeah, no, that is definitely the girl. But her name's not Sarah Kelly. It's Sarah Robertson. And that's when I really felt sick because that was the final piece of the puzzle that said to me because that was the name of the dead girl and that was my final kind of piece of hanging on to. There must be something wrong. There must have been a you know, this girl that died of cancer, she was too real. I spoke to her so many times. And that was sort of the final nail in the coffin that this girl never, ever existed. Let's fast forward to 11 years later. Now, Sarah, the alleged best friend, the person who catfished all of us, made contact with you. Oh, yeah, this was, this was really incredible because I was literally down to the last chapter of writing my book, but I didn't know how to kind of give that conclusion to the readers about Sarah, who was previously Sarah. And I just thought, oh, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And I was literally on my computer one day doing that chapter and I suddenly get this weird email come through via my website, um, the contact sheet, and instantly it was like, oh, my God, this is her. And it was this cryptic, again, weird, you know, sort of email. But essentially it was her reaching out saying, I'm ready to come clean. I'm ready to give answers. I Immediately I just wanted to tell her, go, jam it up her Canadian jumper. Um, it brought up a lot of anger. But I also thought, shut up, Amber, you need answers. You've got a book to conclude here. You're going to have to fake it with this woman because you do need answers. And so we eventually did our first Skype call, which ended up one of of many. And I got to ask a lot of questions over a lot of time and some of which were 
captured in a podcast called Love and Radio. That Love and Radio podcast is available on loveandradio.org. Now, in one of the chats, Sarah blamed the catfishing on a mix of drugs and mental health issues. Let's have a listen to what she had to say. I'm sitting here and like I'm hearing all this and I'm like, God, I was so f***ing sick. I was so f***ing sick. I don't mean for this to sound self-serving or as uh, giving me a pass by anything, by any means. I can't keep beating myself up about it. You know, it. I did it. I am truly sorry that I allowed myself to do that. You know, regardless of mental health or this or that or alcoholism, you know, addiction, you know, those are just, those are things that were happening in my life, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't make it okay at all. Okay, so wild, Amber. Um, My big question out of all of this, did you ever find out whose ashes she spread at the beach that day? Oh, yes. Great question. Um, I absolutely did. So she basically told me that part of this, you know, she was going through a hard time and she, you know, was diagnosed with bipolar and she was abusing drugs. She was doing cocaine. She was drinking, blah, blah, blah. She said that when she was about 22, she had this very, very close friendship with a male and that very suddenly while they were on like a tour, he had died. So she said that in the bag was actually this young guy that she'd been best friends with and that it was him that had had aspirations of going to Australia one day and it was him in the bag that she <laughs> spread. I mean, Do you believe her? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. Amber, this story has so many twists and turns. We've only touched the tip of the iceberg. For the full story, you can check out Amber's book, This Is Not A Love Song, which is available to buy through Booktopia in paperback or as an ebook. Amber Petty, thank you for taking this a twisted walk down memory lane. It's always twisted when you come walking with me. <laughs> <laughs> News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? (laughs) Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Well, nowadays, more and more people are meeting their partners online, which means it's easier than ever to be catfished. Here to give us some tips on how to avoid becoming a victim is Lauren Rosewarn, an associate professor in the School of Social and Political Sciences at Melbourne University. Lauren, how can people minimise the risk of being catfished? Look, the biggest piece of advice I could give is the if it's too good to be true, 
It probably is <laughs> in the sense that if someone is coming on really, really strongly, really early, that's a warning sign. That's a red flag. Even if they're not a catfish, it's probably a red flag. But that idea of too hot, too strong, the idea of, for example, promises and declarations of love really early, these should be warning signs. There are other clues as well, though, and one of the other clues, for example, would be asking you information about yourself that is perhaps not um, that you'd give out in ordinary conversation, but rather is things like, what's your mother's maiden name? Mm. Those kind of things are a little bit dodgy as well. Another big red flag is the postponement of an in-person meeting. If they're stringing you along for a really long time, they're not engaging, for example, with a video chat, something in real time, then quite possibly, again, their identity is potentially fraudulent. Lauren, there might be people listening right now who are going, oh, God, I'm in an online relationship and this is all feeling a little bit sus. Is there anything people can do to find out once and for all if they are being catfished? Look, again, if you're already doubting the <laughs> veracity of your relationship, it's kind of like the second you're you know, going through your partner's emails or, or search history, the seeds of doubt have already been planted. I suspect there's already some cracks there anyway. But the very fact that you're querying whether you're being catfished makes me think you quite possibly have never had that real in-person meeting. So if that's the case, I think this is probably a good sign to get out. But that said, there are a few things you can do. And one of the obvious ones is actually Google the person, right? Have they given you information about, for example, not only their name, first name and surname, where do they work? Everybody is going to, you know, under, you know, anyone under 60 really is going to have an online profile of, if there is no uh, electronic footprint for this person, again, I'd be questioning, do they exist? You can also do a reverse uh, search on any images that they send you. Have they taken photographs for, from a, a stock photo library? And you can use Google, uh, Google's reverse images uh, search function to check whether the photos that you've been sent are actually anywhere else online. And that'll give you a hint as well as to whether, you know, because a, a real suitor, a real partner, isn't actually going to be stealing photos from a photo <laughs> library. Rather, they'd normally be able to provide their own. Why do people catfish other people? Yeah, and there's a broad range of explanations. Sometimes, and this is where I, uh, you know, if they're asking you questions about your bank details and the place you went to primary school, these are financial scams generally where they're trying to, you know, engage in things like identity theft or, uh, you know, some kinds of financial crimes. And, and they're very similar to any other kind of scam where the romance part is really secondary to the, to the main event, which is to steal from you. Other ones, are, uh, you know, there are other kinds of reasons though. Sometimes there is just people who much like trolls who are doing it to amuse themselves to see how long they can string somebody along. Then there are the other more sort of um, a psychological uh, torment ones. These are people you may actually know in real life who are using this as some kind of a revenge and we've certainly heard some high profile cases where someone's best friend um, or, or someone they know or an ex-partner is doing it to be vindictive. Before I let you go, just a reminder, you should check out Amber Petty's book, This Is Not A Love Song, to get the full story about that very bizarre catfishing. Uh, thanks for listening to I've Got News For You, and happy Valentine's Day, lovers. Mwah.